What's going on, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. Today is our Western Conference Breakdown episode. We do this every year. We did our Eastern Conference episode a few days ago, so now we have to cover the Western Conference. And I want to give a quick apology for my audio last uh, episode. We haven't done this in a while, so I did the entire episode through my headset and not my $80 microphone I bought. So <laughs> I apologize, but let's hop right into it. At number one, Ben, you are a fan of this team. You've been rooting for this team for five years or so. You're a huge fan. Who's number one in the West? The Denver Nuggets will be the best team in the Western Conference this year. I think there is no team that's going to touch it. We have to start talking about the Denver Nuggets like a juggernaut, like an unbeatable team, because that's what they were through last year's playoffs. They cruised to the finals, and it was a pretty handy victory for Denver. I think they're going to do it again. I think they're built for another deep playoff run. But in terms of regular season success, we have seen how well this team plays together, how much they can get out of every member of their team. When you see like the ninth through 12th guys come into the game and play impactful minutes right away, it's just they're a regular season team that's not going to struggle once, I don't think. Yeah, and we're talking about one of the most durable teams as well. We're talking about a guy in Jamal Murray who, instead of having to rehab off an ACL, is now completely healthy heading into the season. We're talking about a team that had a rookie last year in Christian Brown play unbelievable well, and now they have Peyton Watson and Julian Strother joining the team who seem to be impact players, even though they're in their first and second years. How we have gone and talked about this upcoming season without considering the Nuggets as an absolute juggernaut. Celtics and the Bucks are getting all the attention, and that's fair, even the Lakers and Suns with their additions. The Nuggets kept their core intact, and I think that's somehow made them overlooked. But like I've said on the podcast before, when we have these guys that are top 20, 25 players ever, and they're at the peak of their powers, it's just hard to beat these guys. Like, usually they come out with the title, and we saw that last year. Um, the Nuggets are going to be filthy again. And Jokic never misses time. Murray shouldn't miss time. Aaron Gordon's a pretty healthy player as well. I see a very, very nice regular season coming up for the Nuggets. I totally agree. The two big subtractions from last year's squad are Bruce Brown and Jeff Green, who are both really good role players. I think Bruce Brown was killer in those playoffs. But you can replace their minutes. You've got guys you just named of Peyton Watson, Christian Brown, Julian Strother, you could even go Hunter Tyson and Jalen Pickett looked great in the summer league. They just have a pool full of young guys. And when you have Jokic, who just puts everything together offensively as well as he does, even if those guys, like, it's so easy for those guys to thrive. Christian Brown, as a dude who just plays as hard as he possibly can and gets points wherever they come to him, if you've got role players with that kind of mindset next to Jokic, he will get them buckets. Yeah, and I feel like some people might be, you know, a little scared that they lost a guy in Bruce Brown and a guy in Jeff Green. Jeff Green was obviously a vocal leader leader for that team. You know, maybe expect Jokic or Murray to step up as a vocal leader, but in terms of talent, like Christian Brown can absolutely do what Bruce Brown did. And in my opinion, Peyton Watson will be able to be Jeff Green immediately. So in terms of talent, they're either slightly better or the same, and then you're just expecting some more vocal leadership from one of the guys in the locker room. But yeah, this team's going to be filthy. I'm super excited to watch them try to defend their title. Before we move on to team number two, do you think there's a possibility that Jamal Murray's an all-star this year? 
Absolutely. After after performing the way he did in the playoffs again, because I think a part of us kind of thought potentially it could be a fraud, his mm-hmm. numbers as a playoff player, because it was in the bubble. He shut those down very quickly, uh, was unbelievable the entire playoffs. And I think the Nuggets are going to win 50-plus games. He's going to be the second-best player on that team. He will make an all-star game this year. That's what I would love to see. Let's move on to number two, and let's talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. They have gotten a lot better around the edges, and something that people have to note is that Russell Westbrook is not on this team to start the season. He was a big part of them not winning as many games as people expected them to early in the year. When they upgraded and they got rid of him, the team looked phenomenal. This is going to be a full season of a team that's built around LeBron James the way you need a team built around LeBron James with spacing, with you know, good shooters, good role players. I'm excited to watch this Lakers squad. Yeah, this is a big change for them. Uh, Getting off the Russell Westbrook thing last year at the trade deadline, we saw the dividends that paid off. They went on a rampant winning streak, and then LeBron hurt his foot. And then, you know, they still made it to the plane and then ended up in the Western Conference Finals. That's after a tumultuous first 50 games of the season where the chemistry is dead and the locker room's not, you know, having fun. This year, off rip, they know Austin Reeves is a great player and needs to be on the court more. They didn't really explore that until the trade deadline last year. Um, D'Angelo Russell gave Vincent a new addition for them. Torian Prince is a new addition for them. They re-signed Ruby Hachimura, who played great for them in the postseason. And Christian Wood, I think me and you agree, this guy's kind of ass, right? Like, he ruins every place he goes to, his own opportunity. Not the team's, but his own Um, You had Dallas last year that signed him, and they refused to put him on the floor despite their struggles because he's so bad defensively. Um, But if you're the Lakers, why wouldn't you just sign a guy like that? You have a great insulation. You have a bunch of talent on your team. If you're desperate, if Anthony Davis goes down with an injury, to have a guy who has some natural raw talent as a flyer, I I was a fan. I think they're going to be pretty freaking good. Christian Wood is absolutely a talented offensive player. I don't think at any point in his career that's really been doubted. Um, The thing is just, can you be impactful in any way besides that? And I think you're right in saying that, you know, having this guy who can come out in the games that Anthony Davis isn't going to play is going to be really, really helpful. Um, I think Christian Wood's going to have a short leash. You know, I kind of said the same thing you said last year when he went to Dallas about how, you know, he was playing for a garbage team in Houston that had nothing to play for. Now that he's going and playing with Luka, everything's going to be different. And it wasn't. Um, But I, I still think, you know, putting him next to LeBron James, if there's one player in the NBA that can get the most out of a teammate, it's LeBron James. Yeah. And we've seen with LeBron in the past, his leash on players is short as well. Like, LeBron can ice you out so quickly, he doesn't have time for players who don't make winning plays. And we saw Darvin Ham not be afraid to bench guys that you would kind of expect him not to bench. He just iced D'Angelo Russell in the playoffs. That's a guy that's making $30 million a year last year, and he had no problem sitting his ass on the bench. Um, Darvin Ham's a strong head coach, and LeBron's a great leader. So if Christian Wood tries any funny business, the leash will be yanked. Um, So I think that is very important for that team. What do you think about D'Angelo Russell wanting to up his defensive chops? He said in a press conference the other day, he wants to be like Derek White. I don't think Derek White gets many shout outs, but he deserves it, man. As a point guard who just does his shit defensively. Do you think there's any belief that D'Angelo Russell ups his defense this year? 
I, I want to wait and see because what we saw in the playoffs was disgusting. But he was clowned for that comment. I thought that was an awesome moment of self-awareness for him. Absolutely. Because this is a guy that used to think he was Kyrie Irving or Steph Curry. This is a guy who, you know, went to Golden State and was like, we're going to win a championship with me. Um, that is not who he is as a basketball player. So to see some self-awareness seep into D'Angelo Russell and realize, hey, I'm like not the whole picture. I'm like a cog in this machine. And if I play better defense, we're going to be a much better team. I was super happy to hear those comments personally. I totally agree to be able to say I was played off the floor because my defense was terrible. To be able to just openly say that is better than a lot of guys who are in his position can do. Um, I think that self-awareness is awesome. And Derek White is the defensive point guard that somebody yeah. who's like him should be modeling his game after. Tall, long, makes all the right decisions defensively. Yeah. I don't think D'Angelo Russell's got a shot in hell of being like Derek White defensively. No. Uh, but aim for the stars, man. Yeah, and that's just an athleticism difference as well. I think D- Derek White is kind of super underrated as an athlete. This guy can sky, and he's like stout as hell. D'Angelo Russell has always been a low-to-the-ground player, barely jumps. Like, that's not who he is as a guy. So, you know, maybe positionally he can get in people's way and kind of sit in a stance a little bit better this year. But in terms of, like, backside rim protection and elite perimeter defense poking the ball away, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, he's not leading the league in blocks by a guard (laughs) anytime soon. Um, I'm going to let you take the floor for number three, the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, so the Phoenix Suns, uh, this is a team that I think is going to be a very good regular season team just based off of pure talent. Uh, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant. I hate Yusuf Nurkic. We've talked about this on the podcast. I think, you know, you as a big-time Dame fan were very frustrated by a few years of his career because Yusuf Nurkic couldn't protect the rim. Um but Eric Gordon, we, we did a whole thing this summer on how the Suns were able to fill out their bench. And, you know, if Kevin Durant misses 30 games with a weird shin injury or something, Bradley Beal and Devin Booker are good enough offensive players to keep that team afloat. So, yeah, I think the Suns are probably the third best team in the West. The talent, the offensive talent, just for those three players, it's going to be really, really fascinating. We have talked to death when it comes to the Jays, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, about overlapping skill sets and about whether or not it's really beneficial to your team to have two guys who are really skilled in the same ways. Um, And now you bring in three guys under the Phoenix Suns who are all skilled in the exact same way. These are three shooting guards who are different heights, effectively. Um, Bradley Beal is going to be running the point guard. Devin Booker is probably going to be doing a little bit of point guard running. We saw him do it effectively in the playoffs. Um, I'm just really fascinated into what the defensive plan is going to be around this. Because obviously, Kevin Durant's the first guy you key in on. Devin Booker's the second guy. What is Bradley Beal going to do being guarded by the third best defender on a team on a random regular season night? Uh, Probably 22-5-5 on extremely good efficiency. And that's a very dangerous thing to have to deal with. And all three of these guys are capable for going for 40 on any given night. And I think that just makes this team really freaking hard to stop. There's not a lot of teams that can say that, that we have three guys that can go for 40 on any night. There are, there's just not a lot of teams that are built that way. You're definitely right. What do you think about the overlapping skill sets, though? Because I know it's not something that you've worried about, but we've definitely had that conversation when it comes to the Celtics. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point to bring up for this team. The Ringer actually did an interesting article with Nuggets GM Calvin Booth the other day. And, you know, after he just won a championship, the thing he spoke about is not wanting a team with any overlapping skill sets. That was his main philosophy for building a team. And as a Cavs fan who has two seven-footers and two six-foot-one guards, that made me a little nervous. But in terms of the Suns, I think overlapping skill set for them is okay because it, it involves playmaking and ball handling. All three of these guys can make the correct pass and can create their own shot. And I think having guys who can create their own shot or create shots for others is never a bad thing. So, you know, overlapping skill set is tough. We talked about it with the Celtics. I think the reason for the Celtics it's an issue is because the playmaking isn't at the level of this Suns team, but overlap in general probably pretty scary, but for these guys I'm not too concerned. I think that's definitely fair. If the Jays were good playmakers, like effective playmakers, we probably wouldn't whine about their overlapping skill sets at all because it would work really well together. It's the fact that they can't pass and create for each other really effectively that makes it a problem. Um, what do you think about the work that the Suns did around the edges, picking up you know guys that they paid pennies for practically who are actually going to be good role players for them? Guys like Eric Gordon, Keita Bates-Diop, Drew Eubanks, yeah. Damian Lee, they got some actual players to fill out yeah. the squad. Yeah, I, I'm kind of amazed, honestly, um, because some of these guys aren't going to hit, right? Some of these guys are just names on a paper that we're reading off, but some of them are. Mm-hmm. Some of them are going to be useful. Like, Yuta Wadanabe is going to be good for this team. I have no concerns about that. Eric Gordon is a stout defender at the wing and can bomb threes from, like, 35 feet. He's going to have a shot in the playoffs that matters a lot. So, like, they found dudes off the scrap heap that matter, and a lot of teams can't find guys that aren't old men to join their teams. This team added youth, which I was a super big fan of. And you know they need it, man. When you watch... When I watched Kevin Durant playing 40-something minutes a game in those playoffs, you needed help, man. It was very obvious that he needed a little bit of help. Having him, having those minutes reduced in the playoffs and just the regular season, because it felt like the end of the regular season they were playing him a bit too much. Uh, I love to see them go into the playoffs healthy as a squad. I'm really just, that's what I'm most interested about in the Suns, is what's it all going to look like when the playoffs start? Regular season, I don't see anybody in the world stopping all three of their amazing scorers at the same time. No, not not on a Tuesday night in Orlando. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. no one's no one's stopping that team from scoring 120 points. So um, they're definitely going to be a fun watch. I'm excited to just see how that works this year. Let's move on to Golden State at number four. Now, I have some issues with them as a playoff team, right? I have some concerns. They're not very big, but talent wins, man. And Andrew Wiggins is going to be back. He's not going to miss, what, 60 games last year because of family issues. Um, Chris Paul, Steph, Chris Paul edition, yes, is he old? Absolutely. He's almost 40 years old. That's insane. But I think as a, as a bench point guard, I'm not sure there's a better player to operate with this Golden State team. And I think Jonathan Kaminga is going to benefit greatly, and he's had an awesome preseason. And I think we've all been waiting for Jonathan Kaminga to show the promise we saw from him in glimpses. Um, I expect a good year from them. And as long as you have Draymond Green and Kavon Looney on the court, your defense is going to be stout as well. No Jordan Poole drama this year. This team's going to be pretty good. 
Steph Curry is about to have another incredible year this year because that's what he does every single time he's healthy. He puts on a top three season. Um, the size is definitely going to be an issue. I can run through the bigs that they have. You know, Draymond's been undersized his whole career. He's six six. Kevon Looney's six nine. They picked up a rookie in Trace Jackson Davis, who's also 6'9". They got Usman Garuba, one of the best names in the NBA, but not a great defender. It's 6'8". Dario Saric is the tallest player on this team, and he's 6'10". Yeah. So, you know, if, if, if it wasn't Kevon Looney and Draymond Green, I would say your interior defense is going to be pretty horrific. It's because those guys are such anomalies as short defenders that they'll probably be fine. Yeah. Um, it's definitely something to keep note of when the playoffs start, but those guys just, you know, Kavon Looney at 6'9", and Draymond at 6'6", do more protecting the paint than anybody at their height that I've ever seen, it feels like. No, it's a good call. I mean, you know my level of respect for Draymond. Uh, you borderline think it's ass-kissing. It might be. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm obsessed with him as a defender, and I think he's such an important cog in what they do. But we can't get over the fact this team's short as hell. Um, it's just going to be an issue. And another thing I want to touch on with them before we move on is Clay Thompson. Like, this is a massive prove-it year for him. He was fucking horrible in the playoffs. There's no other way to say it. In the regular season, he was fine. I think he shot close to 40% from three if he... Let's see. Um, yeah, yeah, he shot 41% from three. That is Clay Thompson-level shooting. That's really, really good. In the playoffs, there was no self-creation he was he could not hit the broad side of a barn. Dude was awful. This year we need to see him take a ne- another step up, which would be uncommon for a guy to reach form at age 33. So, uh, big year for him. And it's a big year for him in the sense that the Golden State Warriors have not given him a contract extension. They really don't have a need to. It's not like Klay Thompson is going to be a different player at the end of this year. Everybody knows what they're getting out of him. But you need to see the best version of it, and you need to see it work in the playoffs. Last year, he attempted more threes in the regular season than he's ever attempted before. Over ten and a half a game. And he was shooting over 41%. Yeah, that is, That's just incredible to have that yeah. as a piece. We know how great Clay Thompson is. But if he wants another big-time payday, he's got to do more. Yeah. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it means bringing back some of the old Clay Thompson defense. Um I, I think it's going to be rough for him to get another big-time paycheck, but I know that's yeah. what he's after this year. Yeah, and, you know, we're not doing off-season topics yet, but that is a huge storyline to look at for this guy because this is this guy's going to get a statue outside of the arena, right? This is one of the most important players in Warriors history. But if he has unrealistic expectations for himself financially and the Warriors don't feel like hamstringing their last seasons with Steph Curry. Like, we might have to see him in a different jersey, and I hate when that happens. So um, that's just something to look out for as the season continues. As of right now, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green have been on the Warriors longer than any other player has been on any other team. Yeah, Giannis is next. Um, but these guys have been Golden State's team for a decade. Um, it's really, it's, it'll be upsetting to see Clay Thompson in a uniform that's not Golden State, but I could absolutely see it happening. Um, what do you think about Chris Paul coming off the bench? I'm assuming he's going to come off the bench. What is that going to look like? Fantastic. That's what it's going to look like. And I think it's a really good strategy also. This is a guy who's 38 years old. Um, I think lessening his minutes is actually really important for him to still be a valuable player. 
we saw he cannot get to the rim anymore and he just doesn't have the legs to have a sustained season he's gonna get hurt at some point bringing him off the bench gives him a better chance to stay healthy i'm a huge fan I absolutely agree. Um, I hope he doesn't have any kind of complaints about coming off the bench. Obviously, there was some weirdness surrounding that when he first joined the team. But yeah. you're 38 years old, and the best players on these teams are your front court. So you're right. going to sit on the bench. Um, and I think that's going to work really well. I, I Honestly, you know, Chris Paul is one of the best offense runners out there. Um, and we've seen it already in the preseason to have him be a guy with the ball, waiting for Steph, running around screens, hitting him in his pocket. He can do that just like Draymond, just like Clay Thompson can. Um, so it's just another wrinkle to add to this team. Let's move on to team number five, your team, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, man, I'm very, very high on them this year. Um, I, I think a lot of people are still skeptical of the Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns pairing. I understand uh, but Carl Anthony Towns is one of the better offensive players in the entire league, and he played 36 games last year. We're expecting him to play more than that. I think Anthony Edwards takes a jump. I think uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is a decent player off the bench. Jaden McDaniels will make an all-defense team this year and will potentially have his name thrown around in Defensive Player of the Year conversations. They also have Slow-Mo, Nas Reed, and they have Mike Conley. This is one of those teams that just has good players. Like, it's it's hard to find teams that actually have respectable guys deep into their bench, and this team has those. And not to mention, with the 33rd pick in the draft, they got Leonard Miller, who is destroying people in preseason. And that's another infusion of young talent into this team. I just think the mix of, you know, legitimate all-star level talent with Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and just good dudes everywhere else I think they're going to have a really shockingly good season. We had Leonard Miller marked, mocked right outside the lottery. I had him at yeah. 15 for a while. Um, he yeah. was a, That was a great selection at 33. And for me, what comes down to my, what comes into my respect for the Timberwolves, it's tied directly to the Nuggets. Um, when you watch them in the playoffs last year, the Minnesota Timberwolves, without their best defender and without some of their key players made life really, really difficult for Denver. They were probably the most difficult out. If that was a fully healthy team, that first round series would have been unbelievable. But what we saw is Anthony Edwards in moments is absolutely a top 10 player in this league. He's growing into that. I don't know if it's going to be this year. I don't know if it's going to be next year, but very, very soon, Anthony Edwards will just be a top 10 player in this league. Yeah, and we saw glimpses of that against the Memphis Grizzlies a few years back when he had his first playoff performance where he's going he's the best player in the series in a series that had John Morant and Desmond Bain, right? He just was better than them at age 21. Mm-hmm. Now he faces the Nuggets and he drops 32 5 and 5 per game against the eventual championships and you have Bruce Brown going on podcast saying we literally didn't know what to do about Ant. He could just do whatever he wants. When you have championship-level teams complimenting a 22-year-old the way the, the way they were, you only expect him to rise even further. And I think he's going to become more polished. I think he's going to get a little bit better at three-point shooting every single year. And he's one of the best athletes the league has ever seen. Like, my faith in this team is directly tied to him and then the health of others. So, um, yeah, this team's going to be really, really good. There's a note that I have to make about the Timberwolves that I think I make every time we talk about the Timberwolves, and it's that I don't think Carl Anthony Towns is long for this team. 
Um, when you watched Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert playing together as the two best guys, when Cat was missing games, that team looked awesome. Anthony Edwards is a scary perimeter defender when he's locked in. Rudy Gobert, everybody knows what he can do. With him and Jaden McDaniels, with that three, the trio of defenders that they have, it's smothering. I think Carl yeah. Anthony Towns just doesn't really fit this team. It's kind of hard to imagine how he fits perfectly. In my perfect world, Carl Anthony Towns gets shipped and you bring in a bunch more role players who can help boost your team's success. Um, obviously, you're much higher on Cat on this team than I am. It's just yeah. a part of this team, personally, doesn't feel like it fits. Yeah, and we've we've gone back and forth on this over the summer uh, when we saw each other in person. I think Cat needs to stay. I think it would be a disservice to ship him at this point. He played 36 games with Rudy Gobert and played five playoff games. And I just think, let's give them a full season to try to figure it out. Let's head into the postseason, which I do think they'll make. And, you know, as we have them currently constructed, they'd be facing the Warriors in the postseason. I'd take the Wolves in that series. I, I just think they would win. They're too big and too strong. And I think that's a recipe for success in a conference where the best player is seven foot, 300 pounds in Nikola Jokic. So I think they're perfectly crafted to face the Lakers and face the Nuggets. And they have a young budding superstar. I, I, I just, I want to wait and see. I think that's totally fair. Um, we have had very high words for Anthony Edwards over the past couple of years. In terms of MVP talks, mm-hmm. um, we've talked about Anthony Edwards one of these years is going to be on that list, man. He's going to be top three. Do you think this yeah. is a season where it could happen? Um, I think he's going to get top five votes for sure. Yeah, we saw SGA get votes last year, and his team didn't make the playoffs. Like, I think this Wolves team is going to be very, very good. And I think Anthony Edwards will be the best player on that team. So I expect him to get some MVP votes for sure this year. I think that's definitely fair. Let's move on to team number six. We're going to talk about the Sacramento Kings. They were the third seed in the West last year, and the team certainly didn't get worse. Um, This is a team that's got a very clear offensive identity. They are going to generate as much open looks as they can with DeMontis Sabonis running point. Um, you know, with uh, De'Aaron Fox running point, the way that those two guys work together, the way that they can collapse the paint and kick out the shooters. We just saw how perfectly their offense runs. And their defense is terrible, and nothing's going to change that. Um, Absolutely nothing positive to say about any aspect of their defense. But when you have a top two, top three offense in the NBA, and you play as well together as these guys do, to me, that's absolutely a playoff team. Yeah, I, we have them dropping three spots from where they finished last year. For me personally, this is purely health indicated, like health and defense. If you lose, let's say, De'Aaron Fox for 10 games this year, which is a lot more than he missed last year, um, that will hinder this team greatly because their defense is going to lit up points. And if you don't have your superstars giving you buckets every single night on a consistent basis... I just think it's going to be harder for them to keep up with the other teams in the West because the West is so loaded. Um, I think everyone in their starting five played over 70 games, which is just like unheard of in terms of health at this point in the NBA where players sit out if they have like a cold. Um, So this year I'm expecting a little bit of drop off in health, but I think we're going to see a very similar year in terms of offensive explosion. I just think this team's going to light everyone up from three. 
I totally agree. In terms of the top eight players on this team, in terms of minutes played, De'Aaron Fox played the least amount of games last year at 73 games. Yeah. Everybody is healthy and they play. And, you know, we talk about, there's some, there's a lot of conversation to have about whether or not that's luck or whether or not the teams are doing anything to help manage that. The Kings and the Knicks last year were the two healthiest teams in the NBA. We'll see if the trend keeps up this year. But you're right, and in the sense that those players had to play all those games to get the Kings as many wins as they got. They don't have the top-tier talent that some other teams have to just blow the brakes off of every team they play. It's the teamwork that they have that makes these games so exciting. And, you know, if you miss a couple games from each of your star players, those are losses. Yeah, I agree, and I I think we're going to see a little bit more of that this season. It's not, they have two all-NBA guys, but if they're missing time, they're less capable of staying afloat than the teams we have above them, in my opinion. Um, Let's move on to a team who's going to be missing their star player for quite some time, the Memphis Grizzlies. John Morant obviously suspended for 25 games. We have them here at seven still. Um, This is a team that has been a regular season machine. Um, John Morant goes down with an injury, doesn't matter. They go 13-2. and two. Uh, This team is equipped to deal with the issues. <laughs> ben just dropped something there. Um, this team is equipped to deal with the issues of losing their star guy in John Morant. And they trade for Marcus Smart, who's better uh, than Dylan Brooks. But we could say that pretty confidently. I think so. I think Desmond Baines primed for a better season. They got Luke Kennard at the trade deadline. I think he's going to play well. And they still have Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain, and Marcus Smart. And when Jaw comes back, he's going to be ferociously good again. He's a top 15 guy, unquestionably. So this team, I think they still end up in the postseason. Yeah, this team has been 12, 13 deep for four or five years at this point. Um, basically, since John Morant joined the team, we have been having conversations about, like, why not take three of these C-plus, B-minus players and go get you somebody who's really good? Yeah. Um, and obviously, I still think that's the direction that they should go in. But when you're missing John Morant for 25 games, you want that collection of B-minus players. Um, the coach that they have, you know, Taylor Jenkins works really well, I think, to put all these guys together and to get them on the same page. Um, because it doesn't matter who you plug into these lineups. They all play about the same, and they're all equally effective. I do think losing Tyus Jones hurts. I think it hurts in a way that we're not really talking about. He's a great backup point guard. Obviously, Marcus Smart's going to be the guy taking those duties. But if you watch Tyus Jones and Marcus Smart, there's a difference in decision-making there um, that I think is going to be pretty stark. There's also a level of defense that's going to be had, though, that's pretty uncommon as well. Because now you have Marcus Smart, Jaron Jackson pairing. Um, you know, is Marcus Smart as good of a defender as Dylan Brooks is the question. I actually, yeah, I think I lean no. So maybe they got a little worse on defense. But I don't know. I think this team will be fine. I, I think the coach is too good to lose games like that. I respect the depth they have. I think they'll be okay. I do think Marcus Smart's better than Dylan Brooks. Um, better at defense, better at offense. Um, so maybe that is the thing. Maybe that maybe they'll just be fine because they've got one of the best perimeter defenders on the in the league and one of the best you know interior defenders in the league. Two guys who have won Defensive Player of the Years. 
to be honest, did either of those guys deserve it? No, no. not no. in my opinion. Um, but they won it. So that is pedigree. That is, you know, people are going to be a little bit worried probably about their defense. Um, let's move yeah. on to team number eight. Let's talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. This is a team where when you watch Kawhi Leonard play, there's nobody in the NBA who's better than him. Maybe nobody has ever played basketball better than Kawhi Leonard when he's healthy. Um, yeah. But he only plays healthy for 30, 35 games in a season. So in all of those games, I think the Clippers are going to be unbelievable, but they're going to miss just as many games as they miss every year. And this team's just not a team that cares that much about the regular season. Yeah, this offseason's been pretty weird for the Clippers because we've seen a lot of comments on the league saying no more load management. Like we're sick and tired of this. This is an 82 game season. That's why we put the 65 game minimum in there. You know, we want players to play. And a lot of that seems to be directed at the Clippers, uh, which makes sense. We have Paul George and Kawhi playing about 50 games per season. Um, Russell Westbrook, Terrence Mann, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Zubac. That's a sick starting five. Like you said, when these guys play, this team's going to be filthy. It's just we can't count on them playing a lot. If if this team was a healthy team, they'd be probably number two in these standings. But because we have to worry about these issues, they're number eight. Right, and it's like I'm not worried about it. I have already said into my mind Kawhi Leonard will never play 60 games in a regular season ever again. Um, I personally think it couldn't be more stupid to get mad at Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers for sitting. He, it's not like he's a dude who makes up injuries. It's not like he's a dude who hasn't dealt with some gigantic injuries time and time again. Who gives a shit about regular season game number 64? Um, If you're going to, if you have a risk of really, really hurting yourself and not being able to play the rest of the season, which it feels like Kawhi does. It feels like this man's always just a little bit away from snapping something. Um, I would rather him play every game at 100% and sit every other game. I don't want to see him force himself. Yeah, I think I've reached this weird point with NBA injuries where these guys are getting hurt even though they're doing load management. So just fucking play, right? Like, it's one of those things where, you know, we we try so hard to protect these players, and you just mentioned it five seconds ago. The Kings and the Knicks were the two healthiest teams. Well, guess what? All their guys played every fucking game, and they did practice every single day. So I've kind of gotten to the point where, you know, hey, maybe try playing games, uh, even though you break, tear your meniscus every single postseason and every single year your ACL pops. I think um, Kawhi Leonard specifically needs his own exception. Everybody else, you want to make that rule fine? We've seen yeah. how often Kawhi snaps shit. No, I'm with Dude, he's my favorite player of all time. Every single year I have to watch him go down. It's the most depressing thing ever as one of his biggest fans of all time. So it's, it's super depressing for me, and he... He even said that in a press conference this year where he said, I don't know why you guys view me as the load management guy. I'm coming off of injury. It's not like I'm chilling. It's, hey, my knee hurts. Right. He has a fair point. He has a fair point. I completely agree with, like, he is a special exception. But at some point, like, let's try something new and actually play some games because what you're doing is not working. So... Um, hopefully the Clippers stay help, uh, healthy. I would love to see a healthy postseason run from these guys. Like that's all I've wanted since 2019 is to see these guys go into the playoffs with no weird shit going on. Um, so, hey, Clippers at eight. 
every year, man, it's just a glimpse. We see a glimpse of Kawhi Leonard against the Suns, and he looked fucking incredible. And then he's down, and the Clippers are out. Um, you just pray that it'll be different this year. Uh, moving on to number nine, we've got the OKC Thunder. Now, this is a team, personally, I think could be as high as six. Um, we we talked about it before the pod, but out of the teams in the top eight, injuries could knock one of them out of the playoff picture and into the play-in pretty quickly. There's a lot of talent in the West right now. If one team slips up, another team could take its place. OKC, in my opinion, is the team that is waiting for somebody to slip up so they can get themselves into the playoff picture. SGA had an amazing year. They have got so much fun young talent. Chet Holmgren's coming back. What's not to like about the OKC Thunder? There's really not much you can say. Um, all This whole team is young. This whole team cares about defense. Um, they have a all NBA level player leading their team. They have a prospect in Chet Holmgren who looks like his ceiling is pretty ridiculous. Um, there's not a lot of negative here. There really isn't. The, the reason why we have them at nine is because they're young and the West is fucking loaded with superstars and proven players. The Thunder are not proven yet. They have some work to do, but it doesn't mean they're not going to have an awesome regular season. Um, you have a big guy, you're a big fan of Casey Wallace on this team. Obviously you were a huge fan of Jalen Williams, the sec- runner up to rookie of the year. Now they have Chet Holmgren who will be in the race for rookie of the year. There's not a lot to say other than I, I am a Shea hater. Um, I think I'm like the only one on this Island. Yeah. Everyone like gives this guy the Gluck Gluck 3000 on Twitter. It's crazy the uh, the amount of love he gets when there are clearly dudes better than him that don't get the same attention. I think it's time to look at free throw baiters and see how successful of a strategy that is just to be a, a good playoff basketball player. I think that's another thing. We saw them face go into the play-in and him just absolutely disappear I don't know. I, I have some more doubts. I'm not ready to crown SGA the next big thing. I personally am not. I, I know the rest of the world has already given him the crown. I'll I'll be patient on that, but I think this team's going to be super, super fun. SGA is a one-of-a-kind, incredible talent. To be able to put up 35, 5, and 6 with 1.6 steals and one block a game on the efficiency that he did it at without shooting the three ball, really. He made less than one three a game. He was putting up 31 points a game. The last yeah. guy to do that is Michael Jordan. Um, this is a guy who plays in a way that is very, very different than the rest of the NBA right now. But you're right yeah. in saying that if you're going to rely on 11 free throws a game to get yeah. you to 31 points, you're going to be upset when the playoffs come and you're not getting those calls and you're not getting those easy layups because guys are refusing to foul you or get too close to you because they don't want to get little touch fouls. Um, Absolutely, there's a part of that to SGA's game, but there is also just so much smooth play around the free throw line, around the mid-range, around the paint. Um, For him to do what he does without any kind of explosive bounce, just incredible body control, I think is incredible. And the fact that he's an awesome two-way player... You know, you've got to give a lot of credit yeah. to that. But yes, one of the biggest free throw baiters in the NBA, James Harden level. Um, and that is a reason to just dislike a player. And you've literally seen me screaming at the TV watching SGA because of his off-arm push-off that he has just 
made a staple of his game. Every single drive, he creates six feet of space because he shoves someone away from him. Um, and it never gets called, and I don't understand it. And I just think there are things to his game that people might be overlooking. I think the lack of three-point attempts are an issue on this Thunder team that doesn't shoot threes. Like, I think that's something that we need to recognize. I think the foul baiting and I think the shove is going to be an interesting thing. So I'm not debating he's an all-NBA player. He is with a bullet. I'm just curious, like, where do we end up on him? Because I do feel like we've kind of crowned him the next big thing. I, I... I don't know. Like, he gets the same respect as Devin Booker. Why? Like, why does he get the same respect as Devin Booker? It makes zero fucking sense. Devin Booker's dropped 50 in a finals game. Like, I'll wait until Shea can make it out of the play-in. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not at the point where Shea is at the level of Devin Booker. Um, The Ringer has him as the 10th best player in the NBA. And when you look at Anthony Davis at 11, LeBron at 12, Kawhi at 13, those are guys who are all better at their best but don't play. And but even Damian played, Lillard. Damian Lillard's dealing with injuries himself. SGA played almost 70 games last year. Um, and in those 70 games, he was awesome. Is he a top 10 player? Probably no. not. But are no. you ever going to see him below 10 on that list? Is he ever going to be worse than he was last year? No. This is a guy who's probably going to be hovering around 10 to 11 for the rest of I mean, you know, for the next handful of seasons, man's been really, really good. It's all kind of going down to an OKC. Can anybody else shoot threes? Can we get some three-point shooting from somebody? Josh Giddy's not going to do it. Jalen Williams was picking it up, but he's on low volume. Um, They're really going to have to find somebody out here. Chet Holmgren, are you going to be taking six threes a game? Um, We're going to have to see who's the guy who's facing the floor. Yeah, and and Shay, I just want to make clear. I'm a hater because I think he's overrated, but he is an all-NBA caliber talent. And the Thunder are going to be probably number one on a lot of people's league pass ratings this year. So um, super, super fun team. Let's move on to the Dallas Mavericks. We have them at 10. For all the Lucas stands out there, you're probably pissed off. I get it. It's kind of weird to see a guy who's a top five player on the 10th seed in the West. This team kind of just has like either implosion or like not working out written all over it. What are your thoughts on the Mavericks here at 10? So I think the Mavericks got better from last year. I think their whole plan, you pick up Kyrie Irving, you know this is not the best version of this team. In the offseason, we're going to have to get better. They did get a little bit better, but what they didn't get is a lockdown perimeter defender, a top-tier perimeter defender. Grant Williams is good. Grant Williams is very good. But he is not locking down the best player on the other team. Um, they also don't have great center depth. Dwight Powell, we've been looking for a replacement for a couple seasons now, and we replaced him with a rookie in Derek Lively, who game IQ definitely leaves some to be desired, um, and whose offensive ability definitely leaves some to be desired. But, you know, if everything works out, man could be an incredible defensive piece. It's just there's a lot of maybes. There's a lot of what happens if this part doesn't work out. Like, we don't have a backup plan. Yeah, and when you're looking for, you know, ways for them to differentiate themselves from last year, right? Once we saw the trade deadline and Kyrie and Luca paired up together, they were below 500 as a, as a team. That's odd when you have two, like, all-NBA-level talents playing at the same time. You know, is the, is the solve-all solution Grant Williams upticks his self-creation i don't know do you want grant williams taking off the dribble shots or isolations probably not 
Um, is Josh Green going to take a big leap? Probably not. I like him a lot as a role player. I do, but it just doesn't seem super feasible. Is Derek Lively going to be a, a defensive stalwart as a rookie? Eh, I like the pick. I defended the pick. I still defend the pick, but that seems a little crazy to think he can start that way. So it kind of just feels like there's a lot of questions with this team. And of course, you know, when we talk about Kyrie, we do have to address how much of a wild card he, he is just as a teammate and as a basketball player, right? You know, it's been a year removed since he requested a trade out of nowhere a week before the trade deadline. And who's to say he doesn't do that again and trade finds his way to the Lakers now that he's had his contract signed, right? Um, you never know. You never know with this guy. So I think, you know, putting all your chips on a team that has him on it is a little scary. I, I'm totally cool calling them the 10th seed. And I think they could climb. I think their offense could be enough to just overwhelm teams. Luka and Kyrie are 60 points a game, pretty much just locked in. Yeah. Um, their guard rotation is awesome because even outside that, they got Seth Curry and Jaden Hardy, two guys who were awesome offensive pieces. Uh, they've got Tim Hardaway Jr., who's a great wing um, for them. They just need they need a guy who can lock down on the perimeter, and then they need Derek Lively to maybe get a year of experience. Expecting him to be the guy rookie year who can be a defensive stalwart, it's too much, man. We saw him flounder in the summer league, and obviously it's just summer league. But the center position takes a while to get the hang of. If you're expecting Derek Lively to just lock in and just immediately know what he's doing, he's not going to. Yeah, I agree. I think this team's in for some bumps as well. Um, you know, Can and I they hate withstand we, the bumps with Kyrie Irving on the team? I think that's always no. a question. And the answer is no. The answer is no. They don't have enough talent. I mean, we're one year removed from saying like this team is Luca and no one else. Like that's that's where we were a year ago. Just because they got Kyrie and they had a. A, you know, a decent free agency period, I don't think we're at the spot where we can say, oh, if Kyrie decides to quit basketball and retire, they're good. No, that's not, you know, they barely have assets on their team. You yeah. know what I mean? So uh, we're pretty far removed from that. So I, I think at 10, they're fine. Let's move on to the Pelicans, who has one of my favorite players of like ever to watch, Zion Williamson on it. This is my last year being fully committed to this. I'm going to positively head into this season saying Zion's going to play 62 games. That is my goal for him. Will that come true? Probably not. But I'm going to be relentlessly optimistic about it. And this team has so many good players on it. It's just, can they stay healthy? Zion, Brandon Ingram, and CJ McCollum have played under 200 minutes together as a trio. That is five basketball games, folks. That is disgusting. That is abhorrent. This is so sad that one of the greatest talents we've ever seen walk into the NBA can't play more than 29 games a season. Saying that, that's why they're here at 11. Because we know the risk of Zion getting hurt is probably 90 90%, right? Just yeah. some, he's just going to blow a hamstring and not be able to walk for 10 months. Yeah. That's why we have him here at 11. If he's healthy the entire year... This is a team that's flirting with, like, the sixth seed, maybe higher. You never know. Um, but we have to account for the injury risk of Zion. We have him here at 11. When we watched Zion healthy and the team built around him, they were one of the best offenses and one of the best defenses in basketball. And they were incredible. 
if Zion's healthy, I think every game he's healthy is a must watch. Um, he is so entertaining and the team just works around him so well. But the success of this team is a hundred percent tied to exactly how many games Zion Williamson's playing. And we have him we have the Pelicans at eleven because although it's hopeful to say I would love Zion to play sixty two games this year, I don't think that's gonna happen. Um if I thought it was gonna happen, I'd have the Pelicans as a higher seat. Um He's just not a dude you can rely on being healthy. You know, maybe he's got some kind of turnaround like Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid plays a lot more games. People expected him to be a guy who could just never be healthy again. And he kind of disproved that. Um, Can Zion do that? I don't know, man. It's it's the same conversation we have every year about how his body is just not made to do what the NBA requires of you. The explosiveness that his body moves with, you're going to hurt yourself, obviously. Yeah, and, you know, the star power he brings and the unstoppable offense he brings, if that goes away, the Pelicans kind of just turn into an average team. Uh, You know, we see a guy in Brandon Ingram that's fun to watch, but isn't really moving the needle in a Western conference that is as loaded as it is. So, yeah, I, I don't think that's you know, a shock to people for us to have them at 11. Let's move on to the next team, the Rockets, that you're super excited about. Take it away. Let me talk about the Rockets, man. I have been, I've talked about the Rockets more than probably anybody else is talking about this team. Um, I am so interested in their young talent. I think Amen Thompson will be an all-star by year three. Um, I think Jabari is about to have an awesome second year. I think Jalen Green has a potential to really, really impress people. Ime Udoka has his work cut out for him, man. We praised him and called him a top three coach, called him an incredible leader, all this stuff. Um, You're put onto a team with boatloads of young talent that you can mold. He's got a really good chance to get something out of this year. I don't expect them to be a play-in team. I just expect the season to be done. I don't expect them to be a great playing team or anything, but I just expect at the end of the season, we've got a really good idea on how good these young guys are, who's a part of the Rockets' future and who isn't. And I expect yeah. Amen, Jabari, and Jalen Green to be a firm part of this team's future. Yeah, I agree. Um, this team's going to be really fun. I think this should be on people's league pass rankings. You're going to have high flyers everywhere. And I think you're going to get a chance to see some real growth from players as well. We have guys like Jalen Green, who's kind of a prove-it year for. I think you'd agree with that. Jabari Smith, huge year for him because he's looked unbelievable in summer league and in preseason. And that's a really good start for him. If he can carry that over to the season, I think the Rockets fans will be very happy after a year of thinking, ooh, maybe we made the wrong pick there. Um... And then you have Amen Thompson, who you are insanely high on. But honestly, he's done nothing but back it up so far up until this point. He looked dominant in Summer League as a defender and as a fast break uh, just threat in terms of scoring, passing. He just kind of looked unstoppable. It was so clear he was the best athlete on the court at all times. And you're kind of seeing that again in preseason where if the ball touches his hand off the rim it's going to result in a point, whether it's him dunking, him getting a layup, or him passing out to three. It's good things happen when the ball touches Alman Thompson's hands off a rebound. So 
this team's going to be fun as fuck to watch. I'm just not sure how much they're going to win. I think this year's kind of resetting the culture, finding out who stays on the team, finding out who's important to the team build, and moving on from that next year. I absolutely agree. Um, This year is a weird year because Fred Van Fleet and Dylan Brooks, in my opinion, are going to be eating up a lot of the minutes that should be going to the more talented young players. Fred Van Fleet's going to be a great guy to help set the table, hit threes. Um, But is he going to be a part of your future? Is he going to be on the team in three years? Probably not. You're more, in my opinion, you're better off letting a men cook. A men Thompson does not play like a rookie. He plays like a dude who's been in the NBA for years. He plays like a dude who knows what he's doing at all times. Watching him hit some of the mid-range shots that he's been hitting, I saw how broke his jump shot was in OTE. Yeah. If he's hitting outside shots as a rookie, I will go even higher on Amen Thompson. I'll have even like yeah. the the glazing will not stop. Um, I, yeah. I just think he's going to be an awesome player. I think Jalen Green and Jabari have so much potential. Um, yeah, you're probably right. They're not going to win a lot of games, but they're going to be a lot of fun. And when it comes to Fred Van Fleet, I think it is so important he's there. I just don't know how you can get like a better role model. He was an undrafted player, worked his ass off to become a good defender at five foot eleven, and then has cashed in multiple $150 million contracts. Um, I, I just don't know if there's a better representation for who you want to be as an NBA player, as a grinder, as a guy who tries his hardest, who's won a championship. Like, that's a really important dude to have around those young guys, especially with a head coach, Ime Udoka, who's going to be fucking busting these guys' asses if they're not trying. Like, we saw what Udoka did to the Celtics when they weren't playing with full effort. And, you know, Jalen Green's not going to get away with uh, bad defensive rotations anymore. Uh, Alperen Sengun's not going to get away with not moving his feet at all uh, when someone's flying down the lane. Like, I think Fred VanVleet is going to be the team vocal leader and who can kind of bounce back with Ime. Um, so I, I just think that signing was incredibly important. One of the most Ime. underrated parts of this Rockets season the last year is maybe the Cam Whitmore draft. Um, he was a guy that there was legitimate conversation around, like, are they going to take him at four? Um, yeah. And they got him at 20. And we saw this dude in preseason, in summer league, he's got more explosion in those knees than anybody. Um, he's a dude, you know, you put him, Amen Thompson, and Jalen Green on the floor at the same time. That's three guys with a 40-inch vertical at least. Um, I, I just, there is going to be so many highlights to come from this year. My hope is that they're not in, like, games that the Rockets are already losing by 20. Right. Yeah, I think Cam Whitmore is probably not going to get a ton of minutes, but I think that draft is an A++, just from what we've seen so far. Because Amen has proved himself to at least be a valuable starter for his career already, and he hasn't played his first NBA game. You know, could he reach all-star levels? Probably. Yeah. He'll probably make an all-star game. And then Cam Whitmore, you know, you got that dude at 20. He at least looks like a guy who could break an an NBA team and do something interesting, at least, right? If he polishes up his game a little bit, he did draw some Jalen Brown comparisons. If he's 80% of Jalen Brown, if he's 70% of Jalen Brown, that's a hit for them as well. So, um, yeah, they had a really good offseason for sure. Yeah, so let's move on to the Utah Jazz, who I think me and you disagree with a little bit. You would rather have them above the Rockets. Talk about the Utah Jazz for a little bit. 
Yeah, so they are a free-flowing offense that bombs threes at a ridiculous rate and has Walker Kessler, John Collins, and Laurie Markkinen as their front court, which I view as like a playoff rotation front court. Walker Kessler, kind of the new Rudy Gobert, where his rim protection statistics are kind of otherworldly. Um, that matters a lot as an anchor of that defense. John Collins, an active defender. Laurie Markkinen showed he's actually good at defense last year in a way that I wasn't really ready to see. Um, that front court, the mix of offense and defense they have is really impressive. Their guard rotation is a struggle. We talked about it pre-podcast. Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton, Keontae George, and Taylor Horton Tucker isn't like the most fleshed out backcourt, let's say. Uh, a lot of those guys are me guys. They want their own shot. But Jordan Clarkson had a career high in assists last year. I think that matters. And it looks like Keontae George is trying to become a point guard rather than a shooting guard. I think that matters as well. Um, so yeah, I would have just opted for the Jazz a little bit higher than the Rockets, just because they have some more proven players. Um, but I'm fine with either one where they are. Yeah, they're both going to be bottom barrel teams. Um, everybody in the bottom four, you know, maybe the order shifts around, but they're all the teams fighting yeah. on the bottom. Um, right. The Utah Jazz, they're going to be really, really interesting. Keontae George, I am very high on. I think he's going to be an awesome guard. I think he's got yeah. the potential to be a star one day. Um, putting him next to Jordan Clarkson, like, is there a better pure hooper for Keontae George to learn from? Uh, I don't know. I think Will Hardy, you're right, is awesome as an offensive yeah. coach. I think the thing that he does really well, and you can kind of see this backed up in the numbers, everybody on the floor passes. The, yeah. the assist percentage for everyone who plays in the Utah Jazz is double digits, which you don't see very often because everybody's willing to pass the ball. It's not like you just got one guy running the show. Everybody's swinging it, and that's how they get so many wide-open looks. They're a fun yeah, offense, the w- man. They're all, they are. Yeah, and the way they use Laurie Markkinen, too, is they used him as a higher gun. Like, everyone else on the team was passing, and then when the ball hit Laurie Sands, he had a good enough look to either shoot a three, drive and dunk, or hit a layup. Number one in the NBA in points per touch. Exactly. So they created that whole offense to, hey, when Laurie touches the ball, the look's going to be open. And it was every single time throughout the entire season. And they drafted guys that me and you really liked. Right? Keontae George, they drafted Taylor Hendricks. They have Bryce Sensabaugh, who's obviously a flyer, but I was higher on him than most. Just as a guy who can stroke threes, I think that's valuable to any NBA team. Um, Ochai Baji showed a little bit of promise at the end of last season. This team is moving in the right direction. I think they might take a step back, even though they're more talented than they were last year, just because the West is so deep. Um but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of this team and where they're headed. If I was lower on a men, Jalen Green and Jabari, I think I would absolutely have the Utah Jazz be over the, the Rockets. And maybe they yeah. deserve it. Maybe they'll end up there at the end of the year. Um, Walker Kessler is a guy people got to start talking about a little more. He blocked yeah. more shots his rookie year than anyone since Tim Duncan. Uh, yeah. he, he was just doing crazy shit, and he didn't even come into the team. He didn't start playing legitimate minutes until something like 20 games in. Um, yeah. He is an awesome rim protector. I don't like John Collins on this team because I yeah. really love Taylor Hendricks, and I really love Lowry Markkinen, but he's a talented player, and he played through a broken finger last year. You can look through his season stats before it. He's not that bad of a three-point shooter typically. This is just an additional bit of spacing and lob threat to add to the team. 
I'm a big fan of John Collins on this team. Uh, I do feel like I'm kind of on an island with that one. I've talked to a lot of people about it. They don't like it. And I've heard it on a lot of podcasts. And a lot of people don't like that move as well. So I, I'm a fan. I think it's a clear upgrade in talent. And I think that jumper will come back around for John Collins. So, um, yeah, that, that front court's legit. Let's move on to the San Antonio Spurs, who obviously had the best offseason of anyone in the league drafting Victor Wembenyama. We have them at 14 here. That's not an indication of how good Wembenyama is. That's an indication of how freaking deep this conference is. I texted you yesterday. I have Wembenyama as a top 25 player right now. Um, that might sound a little crazy. It's not when you look at like who the guys are in that range. Like Who would I rather have next season? Demontis Sabonis or Victor Wembenyama? Victor Wembenyama. Would I rather have Pascal Siakam or Victor Wembenyama? Victor Wembenyama. Uh, Jalen Brunson or Victor Wembenyama? So when you kind of go through it, it doesn't seem as crazy. It might to you, actually. I did, I never got your opinion on that. But he's going to be freakish. But we have to realize this is the Spurs in its infancy of its rebrand and its rebuild, right? So they're going to have one mega superstar and a bunch of young dudes trying to figure it out. Devin Vassell, Kelvin Johnson, those are good guys. Those are good players. Jeremy Sohan's an awesome defender and a really good playmaker. Do we know if he can score at all? We don't know. So, yes, they're 14th. There is some fun stuff to watch with this team. Victor Wembanyama is probably going to be the most viral player in NBA history. Um, but, yeah, 14 seems about right for them. Yeah, 14 does seem about right. I mean, Wemby is the 25th best player in the league. I don't think it's ridiculous when you named those players. Those are definitely guys that you can have a conversation about whether or not you'd rather want Wemby. And maybe in all of them you do choose Wemby. Um this is a team. What would you choose? What would you choose for those examples? Like, would you take Sabonis or Wemby for next coming season? I have to watch regular season play before I'm picking a guy who hasn't played yet. Like Wemby, just because he hasn't played a single regular season game, I'm going to trust a guy in Pascal Siakam who's already making all NBA teams. Uh, okay. But very soon, you know, maybe 20 games into the season, that changes. Yeah. Um, I do think the offense is really going to struggle. I think they're really going to struggle to put points on the board. You're right. Uh, Jeremy Sohan, I love him defensively, but, you know, the offense is a bit suspect. Victor Wembanyama is going to be doing a lot of shooting. I expect him to average 20 points a game-ish. Um, where's all the other points going to come from? I don't really know. I yeah. don't know that I've asked you this before, and maybe this isn't a time for this question, but I want to get your take. Do you think the NBA rigged the draft to give the Spurs Victor Wembanyama? Honestly, no. Um, just because why? Like, just because they're an the organization same... that actually has their shit together, and instead of sending him to Detroit or yeah. to Houston where he could just suffer, they sent him to an organization right. with some team with some French players, um, some <laughs> history that he actually really wanted to go to. Yeah, I mean, if he goes to the Rockets or Detroit, they're contenders within three years because uh, Detroit has Cade and Houston has Jalen Green and Jabari Smith. So like. He, those other situations are better talent situations, but they just don't have the infrastructure the Spurs have. Right. Um, but I see what you're saying. Like, if he went to the Hornets, like LaMelo and Wemby, that's, you know, that's ridiculous to start. Um, he has no one on the Spurs. Like, it's Devin Vassell, who scores 19 points per game on the worst team in the league. You know, ooh, Keldon Johnson, horrible efficiency as a second option. Like, we're, we're going to see this take a while. Um, I think people might underrate Wemby, actually, uh, if they don't watch his games because they see they're going to Spurs, they're going to suck so bad. 
they're, oh, this is LeBron 2.0, you know, what, what the fuck is he supposed to do? You know, there's nobody on his team that can put the ball in the basket. It's true. I expect, I don't know if we've, we've definitely done this on other podcasts. I expect somewhere in the ballpark of 20 points, 10 rebounds, three assists, and around yeah. two blocks a game. Which, you know, I just think- on a, in terms of stats, that should be enough so that nobody has to question, are we sure this guy's good at basketball? I don't want to have that fucking right. conversation. We know he's going to be yeah. incredible. But it's not going to lead to wins. It's absolutely not going to lead to wins year one. No. And I think, you know, I've said this before to you just on our own time. I think my boldest prediction or my hottest take that I kind of sort of believe is him making all NBA as a rookie. Um, He, I don't think people quite yet realize the gravity he has on defense and how he literally shuts down an entire side of the floor. I've never seen shit like that in my life where he is so athletic and so long where he can close out on a three point shot, just turn his body 180 degrees and then block a shot at the rim. I've never seen that shit in my life. And he's doing pull up hezzies from the mid range over defenders that are six foot 10 and cashing them. So he's, he's going to be ridiculous and it's going to be a really fun team to watch. They're just going to suck. They are absolutely going to suck. Let's talk about the worst team in the NBA this year. It's going to be the Portland Trailblazers. And even as I say it, there's a little part of me that disagrees. There's a little part of me that says, wait a second, they've actually got some talent. They've got Scoot Henderson running the show. I like DeAndre Ayton. I like Anthony Simons. I think he's probably right now the best player on the team. Um, Could they be better than the Spurs? I think maybe. I really think maybe. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, DeAndre Ayton. Proven player, probably going to give you 20 and 10 this year because he's going to be the de facto number two or number one option on this team, mm-hmm. right? They have Jeremy Grant, they have DeAndre Ayton, Scoot Henderson, Shaded Sharp, Anthony Simons. Those are five guys that I think everyone around the league would respect. Yeah. I, I think us giving credit to Wemby is why the Spurs are above them, right? Just as a defensive monster and as a guy who's going to be able to create shots for himself over and over and over again, I think that's why we have them above. But the Blazers are going to be competitive every single night. And we've kind of gotten to the point where every single team in the West is not an easy win, um, which is really, really cool. It is, man. The West is insane. (laughs) We're also getting to a point, we've had this conversation, I don't think we'll ever see like an 05 Hornets team again. Like an 18-win, pure garbage, not a single player <laughs> worth talking about on the team. I don't. I just don't think yeah. those teams exist anymore. There's too much talent yeah. in the NBA. There's an expansion team that's coming. There's multiple that's coming. So maybe those teams will start off really rough. But at the moment, the worst teams we have in the league are teams like Detroit and, you know, the Spurs and the Blazers and the Hornets, who all have really fun young players that a lot of people are going to want to watch. There is no pure garbage have to stay away from this team in the NBA right now. No. The closest are the Spurs, Detroit, and the Blazers. Each one of those guys has a budding superstar. Cade Cunningham, probably going to make an all-NBA team at some point. Scoot Henderson, I'm comfortable saying that as well. Victor Wembanyama might literally just be the best player in the league at some point in his career. You know, all of these teams have guys that you can say, I like watching that guy, or that guy's going to be pretty good one day. We, we've never had a more talented league, and I think that's what makes this league so fun, is because for any fan base, even if you know you're not winning the title, 
you have something to root for. I totally agree, man. I am going to watch a lot of Portland. I really think there's a chance they start off just looking really strong because their starting five actually has a lot of talent across the board. Um, They're just going to be a fun team to watch. Scoot Henderson's going to be incredible. There's some conversation. I really wonder. I wonder what this rookie class is going to look like when we look back in a couple years. Because with Wemby, Scoot, Brandon Miller, Amen Thompson, just those four guys, the amount of all-star games that could be had between the four of them, it's crazy. We could have, I mean, I expect Scoot Henderson to come out immediately looking incredible. I don't think he'll win rookie of the year. I think he's a lock for all rookie. And I think there's going to be people who try to force him into the rookie of the year conversation. Yeah. I mean, he has looked spectacular in summer league and he's looked spectacular in preseason. When you, when you have his level of playmaking and scoring, right? Because he's doing it in the half court setting. This isn't a shot at Amen. Amen's looked great in both preseason and summer league, but he's kind of on the move always with the fast break, right? That's kind of how he's doing most of his business. Scoot as a 19 year old is running half court offense and putting up like 22 and eight. Yeah. That's really fucking crazy. Um, this draft class is kind of nutty. We we talked about it. We talked about it. There was a generational guy in Wemby, and the periphery guys in Brandon Miller and Scoot were fantastic, and Amen was a huge question mark because of the league he played in and the jump shot. But we're seeing now, like, the jumper looks a little bit cleaner. The athleticism obviously still shows through, like, if he figures out some stuff, he is also an all NBA level player. Like this, this draft could have like four dudes that make an all NBA team in their career. Just in the top four. Like there's always, you look past that and there's always guys who stand out and who impress in ways that nobody expected. But just in the top four, we've got unlimited potential. Um, I totally agree. I am very excited for this year in terms of, you know, if we had to do like a top three, league pass teams uh if we're going about the western conference who are the teams you're most excited to watch that you don't already root for it's got to be ooh, probably thunder number one i think chet and the way they've used him in preseason really excites me they're basically using him as like a fifth ball handler they're not using him as a center they just view him as a wing who happens to be seven foot the rockets those dudes are so bouncy in Houston. Like, there's going to be so many alley-oops. And I think Amen Thompson and the way he pushes transition, it's going to be corner threes for Jabari and alley-oops to Jalen Green, and it's going to be spectacular to watch. And then the Spurs, man. I know it's barren in terms of talent, but I don't think every single night Wemby's going to do something that you have never once seen in your life. So I think that alone is worth tuning into. I think those are three perfect ones. I mean, those are all the three young teams with so much talent to watch out for. I am going to be tuning in a lot more to the Timberwolves this year. I really didn't watch them as much as they deserved last year. But when the playoffs started, man, it was just obvious that you're dealing with a different animal. Um, I think with Jaden McDaniels healthy and with the team ready to go from day one, hopefully Carl Anthony Towns can stay healthy and we can see what that experiment looks like. The Timberwolves are one of the must-watch teams in the NBA. For sure. And I fucking stand on the fact that they would push the Nuggets to seven if they were healthy. We'll see, man. They'll have a chance to do it. They'll have a chance to be a deep playoff team this year. Uh, But I think that wraps everything up. We're only two days away from the start of the NBA season. It's been a long summer. I'm so glad the sport is coming back. I cannot wait to watch all these exciting young players and all these title contenders 
feasting in the Western Conference, trying to kill one another. Ben, do you got anything to say before we get on out of I'm here? I'm with you, man. I'm so ready for the season to start. But I think that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you later. Peace out. Peace.